Friday or Street Beat Bed Oh, hello there. I didn't see you there. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, yes, hello all and welcome to uh, the Football Attic Podcast number 23. Uh, this is a Cockney special. It's not really, I'm just saying that because it's uh, stupid. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's me, Rich Johnson, uh, and uh, I'm here with my eternal, eternal, eternal blog co-bloggy. I'm really not doing well, am I? Uh, I'm going to stop taking heroin early in the mornings. Um, yes, it's my mate and co- for, oh, co-blogger, that's the word, Chris Oakley. Yes, and welcome to the end of the show, everyone. There's <laughs> not much time left, but thanks for listening. Bye. Yay. Uh, how are you, How's Chris? it going? No, oh, I well, asked first. I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. Tickety boo here. Uh, how about yourself? I just seem to have had a breakdown. Uh, no, I, I verbal capacity. Yes, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just trying to be funny and failing. Um, <laughs> So uh, yeah, so let's we like to be consistent on this on this podcast. <laughs> what, what, what are we talking about? Um, anyway, uh, so anyway, the subject of today's, if you may have seen our Twitter and uh, and Facebook uh, shoutouts, is uh, we we decided to do a kind of uh, uh, sort of light hearted best and worst, and we've tried to come up with lots of different categories for this, and I think some of the categories will need explaining a bit more as we go through, especially the, some of the ones that I've chosen, which I've had to explain about five times what I actually mean by it because it's a bit random but we'll see uh so um yeah it's it's literally that simple it's just pick a subject and then choose our best and worst and that's the point it is our best and worst so for instance on some subjects we're we've not gone back in time since time immemorial so if we did like best match it's literally the ones either we've seen or remembered it's not like oh you know the Bullet engineers versus the Royal Air Force which never happened but you know you, you get the I'm gist convinced. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so right, let's get on with it. So let's just yes. open up our list that we've got here, uh, and uh, over to you, Chris, for the first one, which is the best football and the worst football. Already, this is starting to sound like an awards ceremony, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, no. <laughs> the best football or the worst football? You just get two in the bush. <laughs> yes, actual actual footballs, the type you stick a pump in and inflate for the purpose of playing football with. And um, for this one, for the best football, in my view. It's maybe a bit predictable. I have a very kind of um, yeah, mainstream uh, way of thinking about a lot of these things, and so therefore I may be more predictable than Rich, but um, having given it some thought, I've gone for the Adidas Telstar, and I would, allow, I would like to allow myself a few seconds just to describe why, and just it, I've probably already said this on a previous podcast, it just comes down to the, the, the polka dot uh, pattern of the ball, if you will, and the way it looks when the ball is moving, be it through the air or along the pitch, it, I think it's the best designed to um, accentuate the movement of the ball. And, and, and there have been some other terrific designs uh, in all kinds of different colours, but um, I think I just keep coming back to that. When they came out, uh, um, I think Adidas brought out a replica version of the original 1970 Telstar God knows how long ago that was. It must have been about 10 or 15 years ago or something. Uh, this was at the time when I used to play five-a-side football with my colleagues once a week. And what would happen is, from time to time, we'd kick the ball over the fence and, and maybe we'd brought two or three footballs over. So you just keep using all the footballs you've got. And inevitably, you, you they all go over the fence eventually. And then someone has to go down to you know Sports Direct or somewhere or you know to, to, to buy a few more cheap footballs. Well... When it was my turn on one occasion, I thought, sod the expense, because we typically tried to keep it down to like two or three pounds a ball. We weren't going to waste money on a ball that was going to go over a fence. 
But on one week, when I saw, I went into a sports shop somewhere near where we played, and I saw this uh, replica Adidas Telstar, and I thought, I'm, if I buy this, it will go over the fence. But my God, what a, what an amazing five-a-side game played with other fat men it will be <laughs> until that ball goes over the fence. And I bought it, and we played with it. And, and, and I know it sounds pathetic, but you just felt like it just lifted the whole kind of level of the game by playing with a, with this amazing amazing design of football. It, it was wonderful. So I think, I, although I've tried to convince myself otherwise, I have to pick the Adidas, Adidas Telstar as my uh, best. And quite simply, uh, the worst football, in my view, is that horrific mango pink aberration that they use in the <laughs> FA Cup. I know they've had sort of two different, I think it's two different versions. I did all of five seconds of um, uh, research earlier on. And I think the pink ball they're using this year by Nike is a different version to the pink ball they had last season by Nike. Or I, I'm not, Somebody's probably going to correct me on this. I'm sure it's actually, there are two different models. The stupid thing is it's called a, a mango ball, i.e. it's supposed to be orange, but it comes across as pink on the screen. That's how crap it is. It can't even get its own bloody you know, description correct. And I just think, what, who on earth decided that it would be a good idea to play with a pink slash mango coloured football? It just doesn't work get rid of it right over to you what's your best and worst i only like that one because you can say mango (laughs) (laughs) Mango. it ain't pink it's mango um uh well i'd just like to point out this podcast is going to be about three days long by the way yeah i won't Um, won't be going on that much i just thought yeah open i I did actually like the telstar itself and when i actually was in in charge of our work football team for a very short period i i we had to buy a ball and that i went for a telstar modern day replica because it was mm. awesome um, however I've gone even more predictable and I've gone for the Adidas Tango um, I, I originally wrote down specifically the Azteca version used in Mexico but I think just yeah. the whole Tango if I can actually have a genre of ball it would be the Tango because I actually liked all of its variants apart from Euro 2000 which was boring because it was just yeah. grey but yeah the, I think if I had to be forced to pick one I'd probably go for the actual Tango classic the original because it's just yeah. In its many colours, but it's just an awesome design, and, it, and I think it still looks great today. Um, hmm. Worst, I think anyone that knows me can probably guess what this is going to be. See if you can guess, Chris. I'm just trying to remember now. Oh, it's that stupid um, thing with the um, the the um, uh, World Cup 2002. Yes, it yes, is the what fever Nova. They call it. Fever Nova. That's it. Yes, yes that uh, oh god awful sort of puce coloured yeah. atrocity that wasn't a tango. <laughs> And that's its biggest crime is it wasn't a tango. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's my worst. And I, I, anyone that knows me or has listened to any of these podcasts will know exactly why I don't like it. And I've gone into it many a times before. And for for want of not ending up in a rant, I'll just say that and not no more on the subject. Well, uh, fair enough too. Um, just to, just to say before we go on, um, we've as as Rich I think said earlier on, we've we've asked. Well, we we put out a thing earlier on to ask for your comments and stuff and um and suggestions in fact for 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 categories and um i'm pleased to say some of you did send some in and and among our respondents was uh chris guy hello chris and he also said what about um footballs and i think for him uh the argentine argentine 78 adidas tango he said superb um high watermark if you like for footballs and he said uh, does anyone remember an orange version being used did i dream it or was it just that i had a subutio version of it um as we've said off, off, off the uh, before we started doing the recording, um, I think it did exist certainly in Subutio, and they did use it. I think a few times in the first division, uh, so it did exist and was used in one or two places, not at a World Cup, obviously, because there was no snow. Um, but he also 
Stewart's, there's another iconic ball, the Stuart Sturridge Football League ball, the one with the red band around the middle, which I would completely agree. And he cites the uh, uh, Justin Fashnu goal of the season for Norwich against Liverpool in 1980 as uh, being a great uh, example of how good that looked when it was used. Yes, that will be up there near the top of my list, certainly, Chris. Uh, but um, thank you for your suggestion on that. And we'll come back to some of your others later on. So, next... TV commentator. Oh, you you start off on this one then, um, Rich. Okay. Well, I've gone for Motson uh, as my best because I just yeah. I just like him. I know he, he comes in for a lot of criticism, but I just like him. Maybe it's like that sort of I was going to say like feeling like an old coat or something, but that just sounds weird. <laughs> like I'm wearing Motson's skin or something. Sheepskin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I just like him, and I, I I maybe he is a bit nerdy at times, but I like that, and and it's just that's what I like. I don't. It's fine for me. He works. Yes. Worst, I think you can easily guess this one again. Uh, jo- Jonathan Pierce. <laughs> Similar, <laughs> similarly, I may have uh, commented on this before. I cannot stand Jonathan Pierce. I cannot stand his style of commentary. I cannot stand the fact that, and again, I've said this before, when he started, he was so obviously trying to be um, emulating the Brazilian commentators. Yeah. Now, I'm not a particularly great fan of Brazilian commentators and the the of the histrionics that they go through. I don't mind when it's genuine, except when it's mm. uh, Gary Neville nearly orgasming, you know. Um, <laughs> I, like I say, I don't mind genuine enthusiasm, but this fake stuff where they sort of say goal for about 10 minutes, it's just, yeah. uh, to me, it just does my head in because it's, it's manufactured. It's not genuine. Uh, it's, it's, and Jonathan yeah. Pierce tried to emulate that when he started out and I cannot forgive him for it. And, and I just, ever since then, even though he's dropped that kind of it, I just, can't get past it. <laughs> he just no. annoys the hell out of me. <laughs> I don't mind. I must admit, I don't mind him too much. But I, I'm with you on on the whole thing of like you know he was doing it because he's heard someone else do it. That whole shouty kind of Brazilian celebration thing. So yeah, um, but um, the thing is, he can be funny. But I, I just noticed the longer he was going on at the BBC, he seemed to be getting a more sort of. It just seemed to be slowing down to the point where there was sort of you know wide open gaps in his dialogue, which. Cannot it could be a good thing with certain. I was going to say that I class that as getting better for people. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, in in the sense that some commentators just have a constant spiel and they're afraid of silence. Um, <clears throat> but uh, but it just I just sensed that he was tangibly slowing down. But anyway, enough of Jonathan Pierce. Um, I've gone for uh, Barry Davis as my favourite. Um, I just like his irreverence, frankly. The fact that he can allow himself to um, not just be descriptive and all that when he's commentating, but he can throw in a personal opinion, and it's and it's a bit like a kind of conversation bomb, if you like. And he just sort of says, you know, this is what I think. I know it's probably controversial, but deal with it. You know, it's it's there for you to discuss with your mates down the pub or whatever. And and if I've said something that you don't agree with, well, you're entitled to your opinion as well. And it just it just added an extra dimension to your average uh, football commentary, really. So. That, I think that's why he just edges it ahead of Brian Moore for me because he would be probably my number two. And then uh, my worst, uh, Peter Drury, uh, as I call him, uh, Peter Drury. Um, he, I just find that of all the modern batch of um, commentators, say modern, I mean, over the last, what, 10 years or so, um, he, he's, I mean, he's not awful, but he, unfortunately some of the things he does, like, you know, makes funny comments trying to be ironic um, but you know he's the only one that's laughing at his own stuff uh, in his own head um, like you got people like um, uh, Clive Tildesley who can be um, funny genuinely funny from time to time not often but occasionally and you actually find yourself perhaps chuckling along but with, with Peter Drury it's just sort of I just think oh 
please just stop trying to be clever just and and tell us something useful really you know something that will enhance our pleasure of watching the game because that is your job after all just don't keep spouting statistics and waffle get on with it he says waffling on so um, anyway so those are my <laughs> two selections uh, I, I just br- want to give an, an honourable mention to Gerald Sinstat. Oh yes, I just thought had one of the most soothing voices in the world. I used to dub it when he did the um, like the roundup of the other matches on Match of the Day. That's right. Uh, I never actually really got to it. hear him commentate on any matches because I think he'd kind of he was, I think he did stuff before I was really into football. But yeah, he used to do the extra the roundup on Match of the Day, and I just I thought his voice was ace. But, yes, yeah. indeed, absolutely, and, and a very quick <coughs> other honourable mention on the worst, uh, a friend of mine um, who. Uh, he like me. He's spent much of his life in some northeast London, but for a, a short spell in his early life, he ended up uh, moving to the Ipswich area. And um, at some point in in about know, ten years ago or something, we just sort of were, were being nostalgic about old football and, and all that. And um, we were talking about commentators, and, and I just sort of threw in. I sort of said, "Ah, oh, yes, yes." I said, uh, "Jerry Harrison, of course, in the Anglia region." And he, he, you could see the the rage building up. He went actually <laughs> physically went red. And I said, "What, what, what's up? What have I said?" And he sort of said, "I can't stand that guy." And I sort of said, "But what, what's what's caused all this?" And I, I realised, of course, that he had spent part of his life growing up in in the Ipswich area, and so therefore he was probably hearing him on TV practically every weekend and for some reason it was just one of those things very specific that one voice just you just you just can't get on with him and then he absolutely hated and utter disgust of jerry harrison who i thought was perfectly harmless and absolutely no problem at all so just goes to show really you know horses for courses and all that horses for courses (laughs) (laughs) <coughs> uh, up next, sorry, what you going to say anything else? No, I was just going to say that that brings us on to football kit oh, manufacturer. I think oh, you, oh. why don't you have a go there? Because I've just been waffling. Oh, go on then. Uh, I, <laughs> I I really struggled to come up with the best one because I think that so many of them have their merits and their demerits, if you like. Um, <laughs> and in the end, I just went ah, sorry, I'm going to go for Hummel purely because uh. not just because the Denmark 86 kit, but just I love the chevrons. And I think you just don't yes. get that on anything else. So I, obviously it's their trademark. It's like saying you don't get the three stripes on night kits or anything. But yeah. but you can get stripes and little motifs and that out, you know here and there. But it's like the chevrons are just so out there, yeah. if you like. And I do actually think they've come up with some great kits down the years. And no, for sure. And I think I mean it's like yeah, okay, Adidas came up with like the Holland eighty eight template and things like that. And Nike have come up with some with some great shirts and stuff. But I just think overall, still as a, a rather niche one, I just Hummel wins it for me. And That's a good the, worst, the worst was an easy choice once I'd remember them. That's Pony. And pony, again, yeah. Okay. Again, I've mentioned Pony <laughs> before. I never liked any of the kits that Pony made. I just thought they were awful. Um, especially as they, they did Cov's kits for two years, and I didn't like the home kit, even though it was a kind of modern day copy of our, mm. our 60s one. Yes. Um, and I didn't, I just didn't. It just looked, they looked naff. And they're called Pony. You can't have a company <laughs> called Pony. <laughs> pony never means anything good. <laughs> uh, well, indeed. Um, I think right, it's, like, it's like the Hyundai Pony. Why would you call a car <laughs> Pony for Christ's yeah. sake? You know, okay, you've got the Mitsubishi Stallion, which is supposedly a mishearing of Stallion. But like, come on, <laughs> Pony for Christ's sake! Why don't you call it the, you know, the the Adidas Donkey Kit or something? You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Tony Adams Special. <laughs> I'm just, what are you driving these days? Oh, I'm driving a Honda Turd. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, actually, because uh, 
Tony. I'm missing, mixing my words up. Uh, <laughs> Pony um, did a couple of good West Ham kits, I seem to remember. And we, I think no, we did, were lucky we got away with They did a couple of that. rubbish West Ham kits. <laughs> well, uh, you know, if you like. If no, you like. Well, no, let's put it this way. No. Yes. Um, I think we just about dodged a bullet on that. They were, they were acceptable, but they weren't fantastic in my view. Um, anyway, my choices, I think I've just gone for Adidas as, as my favourite one, even though these days their star is uh, somewhat diminished from where they were. But um, I just remember, frankly, like back in the, uh, in, the, in the late 70s, when their shiny shirts with the three stripes down the sleeves suddenly came in in a huge wave and just at a stroke made all the um, Admiral ones look incredibly old-fashioned, like literally overnight. And... Um, and partly was it say the the actual material they were using rather than any design that they'd done, but the stripes was just a lovely understated kind of air of what should we say panache down the down the sleeves. Just they just look great, and and then you go on to the pinstripes and all the other great designs they've done over the years. As I say, they're they're not quite up there where they used to be in my opinion, but still, um, I don't know what it is. I think. For, in my view, if your team suddenly announces at the start of the season we've got an Adidas kit, then you know you're in with at least half a chance of having something decent. Um, if you're lucky, you'll get the other fifty percent as well, but that's not always a guarantee. But um, but I just think they've got that certain flair. And for worst, I've gone for Area. Um, I don't believe I've seen any Area kit which made me think, "Wow, that's good." In fact, quite the opposite. Um, I mean, just particularly the Middlesbrough kits I just didn't really like their Middlesbrough kits and I've seen other ones that they've done for Italian clubs and I just think there's just nothing about that that's making me think what an incredible distinctive imaginative design and um, I know there are examples like the I remember the Middlesbrough away kit they had where it was like a white shirt with a blue plus you know like a St George's cross if you like um, back in the day when Juninho was probably there but um that's about as imaginative as it got. I think most of their stuff I just thought was pretty ho-hum, actually. So there you go. Sorry, area, but there it is. <laughs> uh, and a, a sort of a shout-out as well to Macron, which um, oh, a lot of people... Yes. Yeah, that's the thing. A lot of people have a lot of hate for Macron, but I actually think in the rec- in the last few years that some of the kits they've done have been actually quite nice. Mm. I mean, I think... Um, I'm sure Macron have done the, the recent Lazio one. Uh, which right. is the the kind of albeit it's a copy of a, an old Lazio yes, shirt with the, yeah. the big bird crest across the front, but it, it is really nice. And I think actually in the last few years that they're, they're getting undeserved hate. I think they I think when they first came out they did look incredibly cheap and nasty, but meh, yeah. they're not too bad now. Anyway, moving on. Well, yeah, well they so had to go to West Ham from... kits, and theirs were <clears throat> the ones they did for us were just pretty sort of. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Let's Ma- move on. Macron, you're having a laugh, aren't you? Good anyway. Lot of me. Uh, so moving on from kit manufacturers to football kit, uh, and yes. I'll let you go first on this, Chris. Well, okay. Well, I mean, the f- by way of balance, um, I just uh, we mentioned um, Admiral a moment ago, and I just whenever I think of the the Admiral Tramlines kits, yes, I know it's probably predictable again, but they, they just make me smile. Whichever kit, whichever Admiral Tramline kit <coughs> I see, whether it's Coventry or Dundee or Wales or whatever. It, I just think what an amazing original design to have and the fact that it continues on to the shorts as I think I've said on a previous podcast it, it, I just thought you just don't see um, 
you know, imagination and creativity like that these days for my view, at least not very often. And but, but I would have to pick out, as a, out of all the Admiral ones specifically, I would have to go with the Wales version just because of the combination of colours, the red, yellow and green. Uh, I think I'm right in saying that that's, that was the last time for probably... Well, maybe a couple of decades or so that they actually wore red, yellow, and green because um, after 1979, 80-ish, uh, Adidas got the contract and they just stayed with red and white, which was equally smart in, in its own way. But um, but the red, yellow, and green. I remember growing up and thinking, "Wow, that's a." I mean, that if that you, if you don't stand out in a kit like that, then um, you know you're just um, not trying hard enough. And, and so. Just, just for the fact that it's the creme de la creme of Admiral's tramline designs, I think I'll go for Wales seventy-seven to eighty or seventy-seven seventy-nine. It might have been, um, and then I was struggling to come up with a worst football kit because there's a lot that are kind of not great. Um, and then I suddenly remembered one that I saw only yesterday, I think it was, and that is Liverpool's kit that they're going to be wearing <coughs> next season in the two thousand and fifteen sixteen season. And, I mean, I, I did put out a comment earlier on Twitter, which was amounted to, you know, it's the most unimaginative <clears throat> pile of knock it off in your lunch hour crap I've seen for a long time, or something like that. It is, it's pretty much essentially um, a copy of, is it the one they're wearing now, or the one they had last yeah. year, or whatever? I've yeah, lost track of it. And it's just, I just think, that that's just essentially copying. I know there's, there are differences, but there's nothing <clears throat> on there that you sort of think, wow, that looks good. It's, the, it's the, honestly the worst kit I've seen for ages because it's there's nothing of any value to it. There, I've said it. You, you make your choices now. <laughs> well, actually, on that Liverpool kit, um, I had I saw a post on Twitter yesterday which had some close-up shots of it, and there are actually some nice touches on it because the I think the similarity to this season's kit is the neck where they've got the kind of yes. white bit on. Mm-hmm. But if you actually look at the close-ups, I, I think for me, if that. It's like a kind of a round bit they've got that goes round the neck and then ends before it they before mm. it touches in the middle. Yeah. And it kind of look it's a pseudo collar, I think. I don't think it's an actual collar. It's a kind of pseudo collar. If it had been a collar, I think it would have been really nice because they've actually got it's not just a white liner. It's actually white and yellow. So it's actually really nice trim and they've got it on the sleeves as well. But the fact that it's not a collar just mm. makes it look stupid. Yeah, so yeah, I don't all, like it for that reason. But the problem all, all is from this, a distance. Yes. Go on. No, <laughs> I can say for distance, it just looks white, so you can't see yes, that. But up exactly. close, the white and the yellow is really nice because it's very reminiscent of the eighties trim. Uh, it, but it just, like yeah, I say, if it was a collar with trim on it, it would be nice. But it's not. It's just a kind of make believe collar, I think. <laughs> I was going to say that you hit the nail on the head in in one sense about the thing of like from a distance because it has to look good in my view up close and from a distance which is and, and it doesn't work on the whole thing from a distance it just looks like the same as they've got already but whatever happened to those long off halcyon days when you used to get the start of a new season and you pretty much expect to see some kind of distinctively different kit being worn by a team that was noticeably without any effort at all, different from the one they had the previous year. And I don't mean it has to be you know, drastically different from one season to the next, but when a, kit, when, when, a, when a team sort of strolls out on the first day of the season wearing a, almost like a sort of, um, I don't know, you just think that's, that's <coughs> you know, a real step forward from what they had before. It's, it's a totally different sort of design for some reason. 
I think that's great, but when it, when you effectively get the same design again, you think, bloody hell. Sorry. Now, I, the thing is, I have to challenge you on that, because actually, th- I mean, sp- thinking specifically Liverpool, if you look at their 85 to 86, and I think they were in 86 to 87 as well, that kit, my favourite with the, the Crown Paints logo on it, with the V-neck, yes. mm-hmm. well, the very next shirt they had, which is where they adopted grey as their second trim colour rather than mm. um, yellow, well, the only difference in the shirt was that it had a round neck and grey trim. That was it. The exact mm. same shadow pattern on it, same sponsor on it, and I think it was only when it changed to actually did they have candy on that one? But that's that's yeah, you know, that's not shirt design. So it's like, and actually, if you look through some of the other ones, if you ever go through True Colors, um, which I do on a daily basis, obviously, <laughs> um, things like I think Fulham had a couple of scoreline shirts which were mm. basically exactly the same from one season to the next. They just moved the logo from the the chest to the sleeve or something. Yes. And even Cov, we had. Um, Cov had in the mid 80s we had the, an Umbro shirt before we got the ones made by Triple S and the, the away sh- it was basically like a kind of um, dark blue and light blue sort of very thin stripes with navy pinstripes on it yeah. and the away was a version exactly the same in yellow when, and we had that uh, one season I think and then when Triple S took over uh, the yellow away kit was identical <laughs> just with a Triple S logo on it and it's just like okay so it's it's it, these these halcyon days of which you speak are, are misremembered. Well, Sorry. I, I mean, I, mean, I realise we're getting massively <coughs> sidetracked here, but um, but I mean, that's I mentioned the, the the Wales thing. I mean, and that's a classic example. I used to get a, a perverse thrill when, like, if you if you take the Wales tramline kit, and then if you imagine like the, what it would have been like the following season when Sunny they had this silky shiny Adidas shirt which was red with white sleeves, completely different. But you just think, wow! I mean, that's it's so nice to just have have a, a, a your, your palette cleansed in that way, if you like, and and just have a completely new new design and 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 great. Let's have that for a year or two, and then and then we'll have something else. But anyway, we'll have to have an arm <laughs> wrestling match about this to decide which one of us is correct or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so mine, I've gone for again a predictable one. Uh, I, I, it was a close a close run thing between the Carve eighty seven eighty nine Hutmore shirt, mm-hmm. um, but I've actually gone for the Argentina eighty six one, which is of course my my holy grail shirt. So yes. and again, I just I, there's several reasons I like it. One, because obviously I have fond memories of Mexico eighty six. Um, I love. I just like the shirt. It's it's a it's a very simple design, literally blue and white stripes, and even on the um, the sleeve, it's a continuation of the main body. So it's mm. like there's nothing particularly stunning about it. It's a round neck. I usually prefer V necks, but it's got the holes. <laughs> yeah, yes. Not that I obsess about the Airtex material, anything, but and it, I I just like the color. I just like the the mix mm. of colors. Again, very similar to Coventry colors. So. Uh, and I, it's just I don't know I, it just really appeals it's a very simple classical shirt and the, but I liked the fact that the white stripe was down the middle which was a complete rarity for Argentina shirts at the time it was like it was that in itself was actually a massive break from the norm and I liked the fact that that was different it was the fact again like I say really simple shirt nothing major design wise but hmm. things don't have to be over designed to be a great shirt no true and speaking of over designed my worst <laughs> I, I pretty much since uh, Puma took over the Newcastle contract, I don't think they've produced what I would regard as a single shirt that hasn't been pig ugly. Um, I really didn't like. I think it was the 2011 to 12 one, which had the big thick, which is basically a single white, a single black stripe, two white stripes, and then two massive black panels at the side. Um, <clears throat> and I, but I, the one I've gone for is actually this season's one with that, that horrible sort of 
big black bib, if you like, at the mm. top. I just, I don't think it looks awful. I just don't think Puma have made a decent Newcastle shirt. Um, yes. And, 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 and I know that it's very hard to come up with new designs for what is a black and white striped shirt. But if you look back at some of the Adidas ones from the mid-90s, you know, the, the mm. classic 95-96 one. Yeah. But even then, when they followed it up with, a, I think it was a copy of a 70s one, That's right. it looked nice, you know. Yeah, that was a And then Adidas one. kind of lost their way. Adidas kind of lost their way because they started adding bits of trim unnecessarily. But I just think yeah. Puma's designs have been dull more than anything else. And then this one's kind of, I don't know, they've managed to be both dull and overbearing at the same time, <laughs> which is quite a feat, you know, you've hit both extremes at the same time it's so anyway that's enough of me ranting let's move on from kits yes <laughs> be here all day let's go back to the uh, world cup shall we <clears throat> yeah now we've got we've got two world cup ones in a row uh so the first one we've actually got is a world cup match so this is a specific match that you actually watch and i i personally have taken it as as ones that we've actually watched rather than yes. from memory because yep. the obvious one to go for would be Eden in 66 but neither <laughs> of us were like well you might have been chris but <laughs> <laughs> uh, no so yeah neither of us were alive at the time so i didn't get to watch it so uh so that doesn't count so i'll, I'll start this one off and okay. i've gone for predictably the world cup 86 <laughs> final um <clears throat> yes again yeah mexico 86 blah 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 but it was actually a great match, you know. I mean, yeah. to me, <clears throat> it kind of set the stall out. <laughs> I've, I've said this before. Uh, set the stall for many a disappointing World Cup final to come. <laughs> but it did have everything. It was two teams that were actually pretty damn good. Obviously, you had Maradona in there, boss in it. Um, but I, for me, it's actually the fact that it was it featured a comeback in it. Yeah, It's similar to the 87 Cup final that Cobb played in, you know. We went down, then we we equalised, then we went down again and equalised, and then won. And it's like in this one, yeah, Argentina were two 0 up and they were strolling it. And there was only about fifteen minutes left, yeah. and suddenly Germany got one back. And of course, I didn't know Germany's propensity for coming back <laughs> at things at the time. So to me, it was a shock. And then, of course, like two minutes later or something, they pulled another goal back, and it was suddenly equal. And the whole thing, with about six minutes left, I think, was was suddenly going potentially to extra time. Yeah. And then just as that happened, I think uh, West Germany, I think, tried to push for a winner, got caught out. Maradona does an awesome pass through. And uh, I think it was Burrishagger, I believe it was, that took the ball and and Mm. stuck it past the keeper. And it was a nice goal as well, placed into the corner. You know, it wasn't like hammered or anything. It it was just a really well-taken goal. And it's just like... It was amazing for a, for a, not just for a final, which you rarely get because most teams are usually quite cautious. But for a World Cup final and my first ever one, and it was sunny, <laughs> and it was in the Azteca. Yeah. What more could you want? Well, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's my favourite. And uh, worst, oh, there's there's a lot to choose from, but I've actually just written any of Cameroon's matches at uh, the last World Cup. <laughs> I've made this comment before. I think it was on the podcast I did with Jay that. Uh, I don't believe Cameroon should ever be allowed to be in a World Cup again because <laughs> <laughs> they've been god-awful ever, ever since 1990. They have actually been awful. I think they've yeah. only won one match since and they've lost all the rest of them or something. Yeah. They might have drawn one or two, but literally they have been one of the worst performers. So I think they should be banned from any World Cup. And this this last time out, they were just awful. Yeah. And apparently they were arguing off the pitch about win bonuses. What, right. so what, that was a pointless conversation from the start, wasn't it? A win bonus <laughs> is something you have to do to get a win bonus, and that's win. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You might as well talk about the bonus you're going to get if you win the World Cup. Um, exactly, yeah. In fact, on two things, on going back to the 86 final, that was a terrific final. And um, yeah, I had, I'd written off West Germany. I just didn't expect them to come back in any shape or form. And I was amazed when they hadn't thrilled as well. I thought, wow, now we've got a game on our hands, 2-2. And, and 
I think, as you mentioned, yeah, the goals, um, all the goals that were scored were, were great. But the, that last one, the the Burichaga finish, was lovely, lovely goals actually. And um, I, I just thought, what a great way to sort of finish off the bloody World Cup final. You know, a winning goal, presumably. Uh, so that one was, more thing to mention on that. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just into it. One more thing to mention. Blue and white stripes, black shorts, white socks, and green shirts, white socks and green green sorry, yeah, white shorts and green socks. What a combination for a final. When was the last time green's been in a World Cup final? <laughs> There's that time Northern Ireland no I'm, I'm probably remember. Um, <laughs> um although I always found that the, their green shirts were a little bit difficult to see in that harsh sunlight in in a way, but um but anyway that's Well to be fair, the grass was about three feet long as well. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, oh yeah the Cameroon thing yes um, what was I going to say just other I, I was going to I think I was probably just going to chime in with saying the same as you just the fact that oh that's right yeah whenever a World Cup comes around you always get somebody sort of saying and I, mark my words you keep an eye on Cameroon I think have you not <coughs> been watching them <laughs> <laughs> have you not seen how bad they are these are people that remember them from 1990 and nothing else yeah, that's right exactly that's where it stops that's their memory goes up to that point and no further yes um okay well my choice is a world cup match i have gone for uh brazil v italy 1982 um again slightly predictable a lot of people would probably go for that but it was it was excellent and it it kind of was slightly heartbreaking for me because i just wanted brazil to win that world cup so much but there was no denying. I mean, they they shot themselves in the foot when they allowed in the defensive error that occurred in the, in that game and uh, allowed Italy to score one of their three goals, Paolo Rossi specifically. But just um, but a great goal from Socrates and just the whole the noise in the crowd and and five goals, great goals, and that was just that's like every bit of joy that you want to see in a world cup match just totally distilled to its purest form and 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 it, oh that was it was an amazing game but i was so kind of gutted that that italy had got through at the expense of brazil especially when italy had scored like one goal or something in their first three <coughs> games i thought oh how can this team go through but of course they were uh, they were merely pacing themselves um and then the worst world cup match i've gone for england versus usa 2010 um Ooh. i was in the um fortunate and i use the term advisedly uh, position of actually recording a podcast for it was a sound of football podcast i think this was the game anyway the one against the uh, usa and um we decided to do a, what, they, what we called a, a, a pod a, a book bookmark bookmark a book end podcast sorry i've lost all ability to speak words and everything we decided to do a bookend podcast, so we do 10 minutes at the beginning, 10 minutes at halftime, 10 minutes at the end, sort of telling everybody how we thought the game would go, how it was going, and how it did go at the very end. And, well, when we got to half time, and, I mean, England was so crap, it was just, I mean, it was the worst, frankly, the worst um, performance I'd seen in any team. England just couldn't string passes together. And I just I thought, I can't believe what I'm saying. And, and the same was uh, the case for my um, co-podcasters, uh, uh, Terry DeFellin and Graham Sibley. We were just fuming. With, <laughs> you wait four years for a World Cup to come around, and then you watch a match like that, where we're just, I mean, it, it just defied logic. They just lost the ability to play football, and these men were being paid you know, thousands of pounds every week, supposedly, for their talent. So at that point, you sort of start to kind of wonder, you know, if the World Cup is allowing teams of that quality to play, then um, yes, dot dot dot. Um, so that I've just kind of gone for that one, really. 
Um, it's pe- perhaps in haste, but I think with some justification. Um, no, that's totally justified. Yeah, it was bizarre. Um, but what about the World Cup tournaments themselves? Um, I have a feeling I know what you're going to go for on that one, Richard. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what it might be. Uh, yes, it is Mexico '86. Um, I. I have more memories of Italian 90 than I do of uh, Mexico 86 because obviously I came into that was Mexico 86 as we all know is what got me into football so obviously I didn't I had no I, I hadn't been building up to yeah. it uh, I literally came in in the first round and saw some of the news clips on on the on the news at night you know the sports highlights mm-hmm. so and I think I only started watching it from the end of the first round onwards um, but I was totally captivated by it but I think the reason I've gone for that over Italian 90 like I say which I have a lot of happy memories of is that I was also disappointed by Italian 90 because it was actually quite a negative World Cup <clears throat> and obviously the final was terrible and mm. I didn't like the fact it was in the evening and it was all dark and not sunny <laughs> ridiculous things like that but overall I think I was I was more taken and and I suppose blown away by Mexico 86 than I was by Italian 90 even though I don't know I, I, mean, I have very very fond memories of Italian 90 but yeah Mexico 86 just shades it and the worst I think we can all guess what that's going to be uh, the ball went with it and it was 2002 ah. I mean, the funny thing is and I've said this before uh, I, when you look back on 2002 it actually wasn't a bad tournament yeah. and it had you know I mean, you look at it you had like South Korea doing well you know and beating Italy and did they beat Spain as well yeah. you know they had, and there was controversy in it and you had lots of things I think USA did quite well as well it was actually quite a, an open World Cup in that sense except for the fact that Brazil and Germany got to the final but actually Brazil were playing well, and actually even Germany were, you know, they, they were kind of struggling through. I don't think they were brilliant, but they actually gave Brazil a de- half-decent run for their money in the final, and it wasn't a bad final. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, I suppose it was just the times of it. I hated the fact it was, you know, yeah. the first match of the day was like kind of like 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning, and it was over by lunchtime. I just... <laughs> Or so I think two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. I think it's just wrong. That's when the that's when the World Cup should be starting, not finishing. So it's like I, t- I just have bad memories of it, and it was just uh, meh. Yeah, no. I, that's, at last, we have an agreement, everybody. We finally <clears throat> hey. reached agreement on. on uh, I've gone for that as well. My worst World Cup um, for, for pretty much the same reasons. It was just odd being in Asia. I was all for sort of seeing a World Cup <clears throat> in an Asian country because I don't think there had been one up to that point. Is there? Or am I forgetting? Um, no, I don't so, so. Think you know, it's always kind of Europe or South America or North America or whatever, and then suddenly it was going to be in Asia, and I was kind of quite looking forward to it, but somehow the atmosphere just didn't, I don't know, and yet, I, I say atmosphere, what I mean is the, the the sort of feeling you get of how you're engaging with the tournament when it's going on, there's no denying that the fact that the crowds are terrific and, and all that um, in the stadia, but... Um, yeah, it just didn't quite hit the mark for me, uh, despite the fact that, as you say, there were some great games and and you know great teams playing <coughs> and all of that. So it just was uh, not quite my favourite, really, frankly. Um, but for my favourite, I've gone for World Cup '82, um, which was my first World Cup that I was fully um, sort of behind, if you like. I, I knew enough about football to to be able to sit down and enjoy it for what it was and. Um, and of course, Spain being one of the top football playing countries in the world with clubs like Real Madrid and Barcelona, blah, blah, blah. Um, you sort of felt like this was a natural place to have a World Cup and, and it was great. And and, the, and also the combination of um, countries that had um, qualified as well. It was a nice mix of, um, you know, well, there was three British teams, uh, of course, that were in there and you had... 
um, all the old favourites, and then there were one or two new ones, even people like New Zealand, let's say, or um, I'm just trying to think who the other ones were, even like the, dare I say, the minor teams like Algeria and El Salvador, Honduras. It, it, I don't know why, it just it was just a nice balance of teams in each of the groups, and, um, and there was lots of sunshine, dare I say, so uh, that was the cherry on the cake, so... That was my favourite, I think. Football uh, World Cup 82, I think, just shading it ahead of 86, possibly. So, there you go. Mm, so, moving on from the World Cup, the next one up is the Euros. Uh, so, favourite uh, Euro tournament, yes. Yeah, I'll let, yeah, I'll let you go first well, on these then, Chris. I'm, in a similar era, um, my best Euro tournament, I'm going to go for Europa. Note, not <coughs> Euro. Europa 1980. Um, it, that was my first probably my first tournament of any kind actually that I remember seeing only just remember I've got hazy memories of it but it was it was England back in their first tournament for 10 years and it was in Italy and again I mean only eight teams um, so you might sort of think well that's not much of a tournament really but I mean, there are some arguments to say the World Cup should go back to that kind of level rather than expanding all the time but anyway that's another uh, argument um, yeah two groups of four but there were some really good um, again, some really good teams in there. You had um, England, you had Italy, you had the Netherlands, who were actually on their coming to the end of their great run that they had in the seventies. Uh, so they were almost a spent force by that stage. You had Greece, and that's the first time they'd qualified for any major tournament. Um, West Germany, who were great. Belgium, who were great. And I just remember thinking it was a, it was the feeling you had was a bit like getting into something that was you knew was going to be big because this was the first time they'd expanded it from four teams if you can imagine that to eight and actually had two groups it, you know the, before that it was just two semi-finals and so you i remember feeling like this this is starting to now gain momentum it's going to be big probably in the future and it was the first time that they'd expanded to eight teams and and so it's a bit like getting it's a bit like when there's a new comedy series or something on tv and you like and you you can say to people further down the line oh yeah i saw that when it was when it first started i saw it from episode one it was a bit like that kind of thing going on really so i i thought that was a really nice tournament um and some some terrific goals scored etc etc so europa 80 is my favorite euro and my worst euro tournament i've gone for euro 92 i just felt it was a bit flat England just didn't perform, which didn't help. And I don't know, just although I was quite keen to see how, how what it was going to be like having a tournament in a country like Sweden, which, I mean, contrary to what you might think, I'm not old enough to have seen the 1958 World Cup the first time around, so I didn't see that. Um, I, and I sort of was hoping it was going to be quite, uh, quite nice, you know, the stadium were going to be nice and the settings and all that. And it, I don't know, it just didn't grab me really, Euro 92. How about you for your best and worst? <clears throat> I nearly went for Euro 92 as my worst as well because it's similarly, it just felt really flat. Mm. But the fact that Denmark won it and the whole story of that kind of swayed me away from it because it at least had a, an exciting streak through mm. it. But yeah, generally as a whole, the tournament was pretty lame. <laughs> <clears throat> but I have gone for Euro 2004. Ah. Um, as your worst. Mainly because I think... Yes. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I, I think... I. I I don't have particularly great memories of it, and I think England, once again, flattered to deceive. I think we we kind of you know, we kept giving games away. Mm. I think I would think I'm sure I, I didn't really watch the England France match, but I think we were winning, weren't we? And then we chucked it away, or did we just go two 0 down? I can't remember. But um, but then against Portugal, we just gave up again, and obviously went out on penalties. 
But then, yeah, okay, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, who won it? Yay, Greece won it! Yay! And it's like, I like to see an underdog win, but not like that. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. It's like, okay, I, I, I love to see an underdog win, hence Denmark in, in Euro 92, but oh, Greece, come on, yeah. if you're going to win it, I, I understand why you've done it, and congratulations, it worked, but Jesus, it was dull for everyone else to watch. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and the thing is, it's like, it was the first final, my first tournament final, I remember, where I actually was distracted enough from the football to not actually be sitting in front of the telly. I think I remember vaguely being at the table doing something, or maybe it was on the computer in the in the front room or something, and just occasionally looking over to see what the score was. Yeah. Uh, so it was just, it just didn't capture me at all. And I, I had high hopes for it as well, because it was in Portugal, it was going to be sunny, you know, <laughs> it was, uh, and they had some great stadia for it, but it just... Nah, it just didn't work for me. Hmm. My best one, rather predictable. I've gone for Euro '96 because uh, it was just I. I really enjoyed the tournament. It was the first one where they had 16 teams, so it was bigger. Um, so I mentioned it last lasted longer, hmm. um, and it, I, there was just a great atmosphere in the whole thing. Obviously, because it was in this country, and of course England nearly, ever so nearly. I mean, you know, got through. Uh, but it was just a great time and it was just a, a great summer as well so yeah happy memories I actually feel just um, very quickly on that um, I actually felt that what slightly went against it for me was the fact that you although I was excited at the prospect of England hosting a, a European Championship I, the fact that you had international teams playing you know in places like I'm trying to remember where they were now was it something like Ayrson Park and, and St James's Park and and I don't know all these places. I just it kind of seemed a bit bizarre and surreal because you didn't normally expect to see, you don't normally expect to see teams playing at these grounds. And and while it was in your own country, it just seemed a bit strange. And yeah, I don't know. It, it felt a bit odd because I just wasn't used to seeing England hosting a <clears> tournament. <throat> but um, but yeah, so I wouldn't say it was like obviously a bad tournament or anything like that. It was just seemed a bit strange. And then all, even the captions when they were on the screen looked like they'd been done by some kind of third party company rather than the BBC or the ITV and it was a bit like sort of generically done by UEFA or something and uh, but yeah I mean a lot of a lot of good matches and, and stuff like that and it, there's no denying years there was also a lot of dross in it. I mean, I remember matches, some of the matches at the city ground, like the place was half empty because yeah. there were a lot of corporate tickets which nobody bothered turning up for. So you, there was a lot of empty seats. Oh. I remember that, but nah, it was it was it worked for me. Yes. Uh, so sticking with England, what a link! Uh, we've gone for who are your best and worst England managers? And I'll, I'll go first on this. So my my best England manager, and again, this is from our time that we yep. remember. So it's not like you know Alf Ramsey or anything like that. Um, so I've gone for my, my best one, and this is, again, not necessarily he had the best record, but my favourite was Bobby Robson, just because yeah. I love Bobby Robson. I think he was awesome. Um, and, you know, if you look at our, our tournament uh, our records under him, it was okay. Mm-hmm. It wasn't brilliant. Um, okay, we got to the quarterfinal of the World Cup and obviously the semi-final of the World Cup. How much of that was down to Robson or not, you, you know, is debatable because mm. some people say that the players revolted and said we want to do this mm. and that. And obviously, you can look at Euro '88 where we got utterly steamrolled and were absolutely, you know, terrible. Mm. So, but I, I just liked the yeah. man. I thought he was a dude. So. <laughs> and my worst, uh, who I think probably possibly even had a better record than Bobby Robson, but I don't care. Capello. All oh, right. Uh, I just I never liked him. <laughs> uh, not not him. Per- well, actually, partly I, I, it was his demeanor. I just thought, and it was nothing to do with the fact he was foreign. I never had a problem with that. When um, Ericsson took over, I was quite excited by the fact that we'd actually been brave enough to try something yeah. new. 
but Capello, I just felt that he just didn't give a shit. Yep. Really, I just I, there was something about him. And actually, if anyone's watched him uh, as the Russian manager, I think they would get the same impression <laughs> yes. as well. He literally, but especially by the end of it, he looked like someone who was just there to pick up a paycheck, mm. and that annoyed me in itself. And I don't mean the fact that he, you know people say, "Oh, he's never passionate on the touchline or anything," because Sven was like that. that. That for me, it doesn't matter. It's like that's just part of who you are. It was just I don't know. There was just something about him. I just got the feeling that he didn't care mm. and it, uh, that was just not on so but I might be no, wrong, no, I don't no, care, I, so. no I can get exactly what you were getting at there I think yes absolutely he, he looked in the press conferences he looked like especially when the press started getting on his back he was just a bit like do you know what I, I just don't even really want to be here whereas at least with some of the other managers the England managers in the past you look like that. you can see the look in their eyes of like I'm going to damn well tell you that you're wrong <coughs> and I'm right and I'm trying my bloody best to do as good a job as possible whereas with Capello it's like well, I've actually given up <laughs> already well that's the thing I mean you, you compare that with Graham Taylor yeah. I mean like, people regard him as one of the worst ever his record doesn't actually suggest that but at the time he got so much mm. stick far worse than any I, I would say the worst that any England manager's ever got mm. I would say but he still looked like he gave a shit about it. He still looked like he wanted to do the best and he knew it wasn't working and that he cared about that. It it hurt him deeply mm. that it wasn't working. Whereas Capello just looked, almost like got annoyed with people moaning about the fact we were terrible at yeah. times. It's like, yeah, but if you're not doing well, people will moan. Take that, mm. you know. Anyway, that's enough uh, rant. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, well, yeah, I've England manager, I... I nearly went for my best England manager. I nearly went for Terry Venables, but and I, I think I realised why I was going for for him as my choice, and that is because I just remember when he took over, I thought, well, here's here's a guy who's got so much experience. He's been to Barcelona. He's he's taken Crystal Palace up. I think he took Crystal Palace up to the first division, <laughs> and um, um, you know he's, he just has a very modern forward sort of thinking uh, approach to coaching football teams they play good football and all that and I thought here's a chance for, for England to, to do well and obviously he nearly steered England to um, to victory in Euro 96 but then you had all the off the field shenanigans with him and um, court cases and stuff like that and it was a bit of a distraction and I think there were some without question some flat performances by the England team in his uh, while they were under his tenure um, I've, I actually did go for Bobby Robson in the end because again I mean, he had some... Uh, the England team didn't always play well under him, but um, you, you at least, I think, felt that when he was given the job, which was after Ron Greenwood, if I remember rightly, the sequence of events, you thought, right, they're going with younger managers now, more sort of perhaps a more dynamic uh, manager who's um, a little bit more in touch with modern coaching techniques. And, you know, obviously, as we all know, he'd done terrifically well with Ipswich and uh, stuff like that. Um, European trophies and, and and whatever, and I just thought, yeah, again, he was he was sort of um, a likable man. You felt well, even when they didn't get a decent result in any given match, you, you sort of felt like he was trying, and and he had a, a depth of knowledge. So if something didn't work, he would try something else, um, and. I, I really felt for him when he was getting a lot of flack um, during the 1990, at the start of the 1990 World Cup, when everyone was just on his back. And I thought, God, say, give the guy a break. Even in the 86 World Cup, he came in for a lot of flack as well. Um, and I'm really pleased for him that he kind of came out of it with his respect intact when, when England got to the semis in, in the 1990 World Cup, because I thought that was the very least he deserved. So, yeah, I would go uh, uh, in agreement with you on that one, the best. And as we just mentioned, Graham Taylor, um, we were just sort of talking about this before we started recording. And um, I, in, in the course of doing a bit of research, um, I was sort of thinking to myself, I'm sure he wasn't all that bad to, at, the, at the start 
Graham Taylor. And, I, and to, in order to um, uh, satisfy my own curiosity, I, I had a look online, and I, th- I haven't got the exact number written down, but I'm sure that he only lost, England only lost one out of their first 23 games, I think it was, under his leadership, which is amazing. Actually, absolutely amazing. And obviously got to um, uh, the, uh, I've lost track now, where are we, Nine, Euro 92, got to that, you know, an absolute breeze. And yes, okay, didn't didn't really kind of turn up in that tournament, didn't really play all that well. And obviously it all went pear-shaped qualifying for the 94 World Cup. But um, I agree with you on, on exactly on what what you said there, that he, he, he gets a lot, hell of a lot of flack. I'm not saying he was brilliant. Um, he perhaps was limited in certain respects, but he, there's no doubt he tried his, his hardest. Um, and some of his choices, you know, player selections famously perhaps um, weren't as spot on as we would have liked them to have been. But um, he, he certainly wasn't the dismal failure that probably certainly the people in the press, if not certain England fans, would have you believe. Uh, my worst England uh, manager I've gone for is Steve McLaren. Uh, I thought there's a man who just <laughs> sort of, you know, infers gloom and doom. And I, I was just never convinced by him. Never convinced by him from start to finish. And, and I thought maybe the FA have seen something in him that I don't know about. Obviously, they'll have seen a lot more of him when he was understudy to... Uh, who would he... Oh, uh, uh, what's his face? Ericsson? Was he understudy to Ericsson? Yeah. yeah. So maybe they saw something in him when he was understudy, but... Um, I just thought, no, I'm sorry. No, I just he doesn't convince me at all. And even now, he doesn't convince me, no matter which club he's uh, managing. Um, so he was my worst. So there it is. Uh, what have we got next? Well, I'm actually going to get. I'm deviating slightly from the list we got because there's ones that I definitely <coughs> want to fit in, and that's yes. one of the most complicated <laughs> ones to explain. Right. What we've got is a couple which are called uh, Scotland defeat, England defeat, and then England win. Now, what I mean by the best Scotland defeat. And this is not a flippant thing to have a go at Scotland. It's <laughs> literally like, so you've got the best Scotland defeat and the worst Scotland defeat. Now, what I mean by the best Scotland defeat is one where they actually played really well and didn't deserve to lose. And the worst Scotland defeat is one where they thoroughly did deserve to lose. So my yeah. Scotland defeat, uh, that where I, I believe they actually played well and didn't deserve to lose. I've got two, actually, and they're both World yeah. Cups and they're both yeah. against Brazil. Uh, there's ah. the 1991 where they came yes. so close to drawing with Brazil. And I think Brazil, I think Muller scored in about the 82nd minute. And it only, again, just sort of rolled over the line from what I remember. Um, yeah. And I think Jim, I think someone had a shot, Jim Lane saved it, and then Muller came in and, and tapped it in, and you almost got to it. It was just, and again, they'd played really well. And it, I think if they'd have drawn, they'd have qualified for the second round for the first time ever. Oh. Similarly, 98, opening match on the uh-huh. world stage. Ding, uh, we have a match. <clears throat> Hey, oh, and in that case, then I won't talk about that one because I'll let you take that. Uh, so I'll <laughs> I'll then cover their worst one, in my opinion. And I, again, I wasn't around for the '74 or '78 World Cups to watch. So, well, I was around, but I was like, well, three for the second one, and minus one for the first. But um, I've actually gone for Morocco in 1998. The reason for uh-huh, that yeah. is because having lost narrowly to Brazil in the first match, they then drew with Norway and were still within a shout of actually qualifying for the second round. Mm. And it was the manner in which they lost. They lost 3-0 and Morocco thoroughly deserved it. Scotland just completely rolled over and died. And it, it annoyed me because <laughs> it was the last time they ever yeah. appeared in a World Cup to date. 
and they just gave up completely and it's just like you know this is your last okay they didn't know it's going to be the last time they're ever going to be in one but it's like you know this is your last match in the in the group stage you need to win and they just were completely crap. And it's not like Morocco were brilliant, and and you know they had. It's not like they were playing Brazil at their best, and Brazil steamrolled, and they didn't have a chance. And we've seen Scotland come back for like against. Well, I don't know if you've gone for it, but like Holland, um, no. when they beat them in the in the seventy eight World Cup, was it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's you know it's not like that. It but they just completely against a relatively mediocre team just rolled over and died. And not even yeah. it's normally what Scotland did in tournaments is lost the first two matches or kind of you know they were already not qualified by the third one and then they'd come out playing in the last one when there was no pressure. But obviously it was down to the pressure in this one where they could still qualify and they just bailed it and it was just mm. awful. So they they just thoroughly deserved to go out at that point. So yeah. so what are your worst and best defeats then? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I also went for Brazil in '98. Um, I just remember um, I was really looking forward to the to the World Cup in France that year because I just thought it's it's so close to home and um, you know so many people love French football and stuff like that. So let's let's see how good they are at um, at doing the World Cup. And I thought actually they did a terrific job with that World Cup. It had lots of great atmosphere to it right the way from start to finish. <coughs> and of course, the first game, the opening game, Brazil versus Scotland. And um, of course, I think the the BBC quite rightly in their coverage of the game um, in previewing it actually sort of did this uh, montage showing the fact that Brazil almost always seemed to run into Scotland whenever Scotland qualified for World Cup and so showed all the previous occasions going back to like I don't know 74 70 uh, not 78 was it it was 82 80 oh anyway <coughs> all these <laughs> many times they've played each other in the World Cup and so um, and I think this was um, Scotland's first time back in the World Cup for like eight years. First game of the tournament. So you think, right, let's see. And to their credit, Scotland played terrifically well. Brazil got an early um, opener, I seem to recall, and, and you know, took the lead at 1-0 after about five minutes, I think. But they got one back. Scotland got one back not long before the uh, end of the first half. Um, it was a, a Collins penalty. And you're thinking... This is it. This is exactly what we always wanted to see from from Scotland, or perhaps not from the diehard England fans. But for, if you if you're you know not so dyed in the wool as that, you sort of think that's what you want Scotland to do. Like take the fight to whoever they're playing against. And it was only unfortunate they uh, they conceded an own goal uh, with about a quarter of an hour left uh, later in the game. And it was such a shame actually because it would have, I'm sure that would have given them a tremendous boost, even if they'd have got a draw against Brazil. Uh, to set them on their way, and and who knows, they may have even beaten Morocco, as you said. But um, but I thought that was a great performance, a really spirited, decent Scottish performance, and they were unlucky uh, to lose, actually. Um, and then for their defeat, um, I've gone back to '78, uh, and although I didn't see it at the time, I feel like I've seen highlights of that game so often that I actually did see it at the time. Uh, they, if we're talking capitulation, I mean that was the one. I think if you ask any Scottish football fan. They all say, you know, there's this huge kind of um, uh, campaign, like, you know, we're off to Argentina and we're going to, you know, some would have you believe they were going to win the World Cup. Um, none of us uh, English types, I think, believed it. But anyway, um, and, and of course, so all this big build up and then they get there and then they go and lose to Peru. I think we're probably seen as being at the very least beatable, if not at downright rubbish. Um, which was perhaps a little bit unfair, but they just didn't turn up for that game and the reaction afterwards. I think 
quite rightly from the fans who had travelled halfway around the world um, sort of summed it up really and um, huge dissatisfaction all round and I, as far as I can remember that's that's got to go down as one of the worst Scottish performances really um, and not a good time to do it and you're being um, shown to a worldwide audience of many millions so um, there you go so that's my choices what are we on to next so well okay. having done Scotland we'll do England as well so this is England defeat so if you want to so this is the best and worst England defeat <laughs> so, right well I, I must admit I, I haven't <clears throat> got one for for the best England defeat probably because I've blanked out every defeat England have ever had to the, to the extent where I actually refuse to believe England have ever lost a match um, so you might have to jump in with yours on that one and I may may have to come back before the end of the podcast with a suggestion on that what did you go for? I, I went for uh, for their best defeat I've put Argentina uh, World Cup 98 because I think we actually oh, played yeah. really well and of course yeah. if it hadn't been for old Shearer's elbow we'd have actually won mm. the bloody game um, yeah. So I, I think Fair that enough. was such it was a great match as well it was like a prop two teams who actually played really well um, and I think it would. I think either of them losing was unfair on whoever lost because both teams played really well. Yeah. Uh, I think our worst defeat. I, I was tempted initially to go for when we lost four nil to Germany. Sorry, four one, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Again in World Cup twenty ten. However, yeah. the reason I didn't go for that is because we actually started out not badly. Yeah. Um, and if Lampard's goal had gone in, it would have been two two, and it would have been interesting yeah. to see where it was gone. I, I still don't think we would have won because Germany were clearly much better than us but I think it would have been interesting to see where it would have ended up And but the fact that we just completely gave up after that and just got absolutely shafted after that point it was, was depressing however I have actually gone for when we lost 3-0 to Holland it, was it, I think it was that, yeah it was 3-0 wasn't it hmm. against Holland in Euro 88 because oh, there yes, we literally yeah. did just get steamrolled. I mean, admittedly, you know, Holland went on to win it and had Hullet and Van Basten, etc., in the team. So it was a great team, but we just got royally bummed. Really, <laughs> uh, I mean, literally from phrase. from the word go, we just got steamrolled. We just had no reply whatsoever, and I think we finally managed to score uh, against Russia again uh, because yeah. we got. Uh, we got beaten 3-1 by Russia as well I think I get yeah. that right I'm sure it was 3-1 against Russia and 3-0 right. against Holland Yeah, um, and we were just terrible so yeah that's that's my worst well for my work I mean I I actually it wasn't a big thrashing or anything but it was just a really I just remember it being a really demoralising defeat it was against um, Sweden in Euro 92 because it was um Thomas Brolin sort of cropped up and he was just becoming this kind of thorn in England's side by that point and it just he always seemed to crop up and get a goal when you didn't want him to and he was just he was though I hate to admit it he was a far better player than I give him credit for and I just remember sort of playing against Sweden thinking we should be at the very least as good as them and I think we only lost it 2-1 I think that match but he just felt it felt like we were so obviously inferior and we did, that we didn't have really anybody in our team that was as good as being clinical in front of goal as Brolin. I just remember thinking, God, this is just like, I just don't even really want to watch this anymore. It was just like doomed. But I, but I, I totally go with you. I remember watching the, 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 the Dutch defeat in Euro 88 and, and having similar thoughts, just thinking like, I, th- I thought we were supposed to be good because we've qualified for this competition. That's <clears throat> the reason why we're here is that we've we've reached a certain standard, but it doesn't seem to be actually 
materialising. Why is that? Well, the, oh. the the defeat against Republic of Ireland in the first match came oh. was, felt like a shock, and you thought, mm. oh, well, that that must be an aberration. But then, no, we were just terrible. Mm. Um, yes. But uh, actually, the the Euro '92 one was also the one where the commentator did his Dolly Parton impression. Oh yeah, Brolin, Brolin, <laughs> Yes, that's right. I remember uh, that one very on. nicely. Yes. So ah. the next one we've got then is uh, the nice flip side of that, which you should remember a lot of these, Chris, because you blanked all the others out of your memory, is an England win. win. So, oh, yes. Got so I've gone for the obvious one, which was the 5-1 against Germany, um, yeah. where even, um, what's-his-face scored? Oh, I forgot his name now. Heskey? That's the one, where even Donkey <laughs> scored. <laughs> Well, he so, did his you know, kind of I mean, DJ impression after he scored. Uh, yeah, I've forgotten that bit. Um, <laughs> so that's an obvious one to go for. So I'll just, you know, we all know what happened. 5-1. It was a, it was a great match. We played awesomely. Germany weren't exactly, they were kind of on their knees as a, as a, a football team at the time. So it mm. kind of takes a bit away, but you can't ever take away that. And it was in Germany as well. So mm. it was like, you know, you can't, you can't complain. Uh, and I've got the worst England defeat. Uh, sorry, it's the worst England win. I've gone for a really, probably a really obscure one. It was 1991, and it was in Turkey, and we beat them 1-0. Now, oh, right. The not reason as opposed to I've eight, as this, was often the case. Well, yeah, exactly, but not just that. It's the fact that um, I think we were wearing our third kit. I'm pretty sure we were, which was one of these times where we had no reason to wear it whatsoever, because obviously <laughs> Turkey playing red, we play white, so... But it was the fact that Dennis Wise scored his goal. <laughs> it was a Dennis Wise goal. But he didn't so much score as just kind of fall it into the net. Because he kind of, I think it hit his knee and his foot and bounced up. And it, I think it went in off his arm or something. And he just happened to be standing by the post. And it bobbled in off him. And that was it. You know, you beat Turkey 1-0 and that's the goal. So that's my, in my opinion, my most undeserved England win. Uh. I just remember as a kid, you know, um, whenever a couple of times England played Turkey and it nearly always finished like either at the very least 4-0, if not 7 or 8. Yep. Yep. And it was nearly always on some days. crackly TV line and, and, you know, the commentator sort of sounded like he was kind of, you know, shouting down a rolled up newspaper or something, you know, it's sort of, and, and, and it was just great because you just think, well, yes, because this was in the days, of course, when Turkey were far from reaching the heights that they would get to. You know, in the early two thousands and stuff, and they were one of the worst. One of the worst. That sounds terrible. One of the weakest uh, European countries, really. And um, and we always used to give them a damn good thrashing. Um, but um, but yeah. Um, but obviously they got good, and and we went in the opposite direction. Um, but anyway, yes, the England Germany. Yes, I've gone for the five one. It's it's uh, it's an obvious choice. But I just remember sort of at the end, you just have that slightly shell shocked feeling of like. I can't believe I've actually just seen that. We've be- we haven't beaten, you know, Luxembourg five one. We've beaten Germany five one, and and it's just you just don't expect to see a thrashing like that, and and um, that was just surreal. But and I loved that. I, I kind of <clears throat> was walking on air for what seemed like weeks after that, thinking, ah, oh, yes, we are the unofficial World Cup champions. Um, of course, we've beaten Germany five one. Um, and as for worst England win. Um, I've gone for um, England's, uh, I think it was 6-1 victory over San Marino, uh, purely because of that, that goal which San Marino got after, uh, was it six seconds or something? Wasn't uh, it 9-1? No, whatever, it, whatever the, I can't even remember what the score was. Because we needed now. to win by nine goals and that's that opening goal was what prevented it, I'm sure it was 9-1. I'm, I'm just going to Google that crap yeah. uh, while we're on, uh, hang on, England. Plus seven. Uh, one moment please listeners, uh, 7-1, yes I think you're right. Seven one, uh, seven one. Um, even though it was a substantial victory, it, just that <clears> early goal from San Marino just 
put a complete dampener on the rest of the... I thought, it doesn't matter how many goals we score, we could score 20. And the, but the fact that England have let a goal in after six seconds against San Marino is going to go all the way around the world, that headline. And, it, and everyone's going to realise how crap we're starting to become. And um, I just remember sort of thinking, so, so we scored seven. Great, you know. But that doesn't really make up for it. So, um, yes, there you are. And the bitterness, as you can tell, is still there, <coughs> simmering just below the surface. Did I not like that? <laughs> oh, indeed. Uh, I'm going to mix things up now, because we've already done um, an over an hour. So and we haven't read out got, most of your comments. We've still, got, yeah, so we've still got about half of them to go, so I'm just going to pick some random ones now. Okay. Uh, so we'll try and rattle through these. Uh, Brazil moment, I've got... I've, my favourite was the 7-1 defeat <laughs> to Germany because <laughs> that's just well, still, still one of the funniest things so not their best moment but my best moment uh, and I've gone for their worst moment I've got Rivaldo getting hit on the knees and then claiming to be oh, smacked in the face I've got that I just, as my worst I've as well. never forgiven him for that there's Against cheating Turkey and then there's you know, and then the guy got sent off for it and it's just like yeah. there's, there was no excuse for that so no that was just uh, hideous <clears throat> Uh, I've gone for be- best Brazil moment. I've gone for Pele uh, dumbing the keeper, running around the goalkeeper against uh, Uruguay in the 1970 World Cup, and then uh, having a shot, having run around the other side of him, which just, just by inches, just went past the far post. And you could see the look on his face, Pele, after that shot. It was like if that goal had gone in, they would have just finished the World Cup right there at that <laughs> moment. As I say, nothing can beat that. And it, but it was even so, just the audaciousness to actually try it. And I mean, that's aside from all the kind of, you know, the shot that he had from two-thirds of the way back down the pitch and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, but that running around the goalkeeper thing was just, just unreal. Uh, so that's my favourite. Right. And and what else should we go for? Let's, let's handpick some others. I think maybe oh, should you, we go into one, Chris. Well, I was just going to say that if we if we now dip into some of the uh, suggestions we've had from our correspondence that we uh, got from Twitter and Facebook. Thank you, everybody, for your for your suggestions. Uh, uh, Andy Rockall so at at Stato underscore seventy four on Twitter. Hello, Andy. Uh, he's gone for trophy design, which I thought was a lovely suggestion, actually. Um, after much umming and ahhing, and again, predictable as it is, I have gone for the FIFA World Cup, but sort of. Uh, reluctantly really because in my view a proper football trophy should have handles that should be the only rule there is (laughs) right now short of actually welding some onto the current FIFA World Cup trophy um, I mean it's a great trophy it's gold which of course it should be for a world it's a world championship winning trophy Um, and it's lovely sculpted and a shape and it's got a globe at the top and all that but if the, the thing is if you look at something like the FA Cup it's got a lovely shape Nice shiny silver and all that kind of stuff. But when um, you get to the cup final and the captain goes up and and lifts the trophy in front of the uh, royal box and everything, what I always find (coughs) is that the bottom of the trophy is is kind of like hanging around in front of the player's eyes or in front of the top of his head, as if the the handles need to be lower down so you can properly lift it right up above your head. But it always seems to be half it sort of dangling in front of the player's face. So... But there is no easy way to have handles low down on a trophy, so I've gone for the FIFA World Cup just because it's it's such a distinctive, uh, great design. And and also the fact it looks like a huge gold nugget. And, uh, you know, if you can't lift a huge gold nugget up to the crowd and say, we've just won this because we're the best team in the world, then, you know, when can you, frankly? Uh, And for my worst trophy, um, I've gone for the Canon League trophy just because it looks like some strange cylindrical kind of proto 
sex device or something. It was some. It was just a really boring shape and, and really uninspiring. And if, if I had been a team winning that back in the day, I think I'd have just like tossed it over my shoulder and, and gone looking for the proper league championship trophy. Um, but uh, anyway, what have you gone for on those? Well, I've also gone for the FIFA World Cup. I'd like to take issue with your choosing your best and then criticising it. The FIFA World Cup is flawless, so just, you know, oh, just right, leave, it, right, leave right. it, Pat. Uh, so we, we've covered that, and you know what? I, I love the World Cup. I think it's an absolutely beautiful trophy, yes. so I just, you know, whatever. Uh, the worst one, actually, you just reminded me of one. I had gone for the Johnson's paint trophy because it looks like a bean can with, with um, handles on it. It's, it's literally one of the most uninspired trophies. It's like a kind of almost cylinder with a bottom and some handles and a top. It's like, you know, kind of someone, five-year-old designed it. It looks, looks like the Action Man World Cup trophy that you could get years ago. However, I've also, you've just reminded me, I actually like, I liked the Canon one. I thought it was quite nice. But the one that followed it, I think it was the Today one, when Today oh. newspaper sponsored it, which was literally a wooden plinth and a piece of perspex on the top. <laughs> that was it. Because <clears throat> they yes. still they still gave you the, the actual league trophy that That's they had right. at the time. Yeah. But the, but yeah, that was the actual that was their actual trophy thing, and it, they must have got it from Timpsons or something. It was terrible. <laughs> uh, dear, yes, indeed. Um, uh, and Andy's other suggestion was shirt sponsors logo. Um, I was kind of found it a bit tricky to pick a decent one because it's a bit like saying which company's got the best logo. Um, but I kind of went for <clears throat> Pioneer, uh, as appeared on the Ipswich shirt around about eighty two. Uh, before Pioneer changed their logo, they went for different lettering after a year or two. But the original sort of tall, thin lettering for Pioneer was was good. And for my worst, and I'm going to murder my darlings with this, I'm afraid, but um, I've gone for BAC Windows West Ham early 90s, basically as a, as, a, as a kind of representation of what's wrong with certain teams when they get to the top flight. I think if you've reached the first division, the Premier League, whatever it is, the top division, you should have a, if not a nationwide you know, recognised logo, then an internationally recognised logo of, of a team, going with a local company that in this case makes PVC windows, just shows that you have no ambition to stay in the top flight at all. So it's kind of symbolic really, but I just thought BAC windows, what a slightly you know, faintly embarrassing logo to have on your shirt. Uh, what did you go for? Um, shirt uh, favourite I've gone for um, crown paints um, oh, yes. and yes. specifically the one where the crown and the paints are on top of each other rather than the one that's straight across ah, yes, yeah, absolutely, yes. and, right. and it was in the proper font of the crown paints logo because I think the first one they had was literally just plain text uh, now, worst. I've I, I'm, there's been so many that I've disliked over the years. I've got I've written Wonga down, but I don't actually think that's the worst. I don't like Wonga as a sponsor. Full stop. But I think anyone that has a betting company's uh, sort uh-huh. of sponsor, I detest that. Uh, so guilty, them, Your Honour. <laughs> all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Too. Um, we've got several uh, suggestions uh, from Andy as well. Other ones um, of which I'm going to pick out. One more, just because it's particularly sort of obscure. We did ask for some wide-ranging ones and some very uh, obscure ones, if you could provide them. And uh, Andy actually did say League Cup sponsor. Uh, I've gone for Littlewoods as the best one, just because it sounds like a, a proper sort of old-fashioned company. And uh, as the worst, I sort of couldn't choose between the Milk Marketing Board or Rumbelows. I suspect probably the latter if I had to go for one or the other, because it just seems like such a frankly a crap name for a company essentially the rumbelows cup i mean good grief yourself 
I have we have an exact one hundred percent match because <laughs> oh, yes. I I too went for Littlewoods because I actually liked the Littlewoods trophy as well. Yeah, I it was yeah, really nice, right. and and it was my where I kind of came in. The milk trophy was just before me, but um, mm. I, I have happy memories of Liverpool winning that um, because I obviously I have family from Liverpool and I had a couple of yes. photos from when they won it. I think it was the Liverpool Everton final. But yeah, Rumbelows, it just sounds so low grade, doesn't it? I remember, because I actually remember there was a Rumbelows in, in Covtown Centre and it was a really tatty shop. And it was just, yeah. I mean, what, they were an electrical outlet store, I think. Yeah, I can't remember if they were like, yeah, it was rental, wasn't it? Yeah, and that's the thing, it just yeah. always looked cheap. And the fact, Rumbelows, it's just a crap name. <laughs> so yeah, totally agree. <laughs> Uh, yes, yes indeed. And um, and as for your other suggestions there, Andy, thank you very much for sending them in. We'll try and put some of the ones we, we don't get to mention in the last few minutes here, perhaps on our Facebook page or something like that, and we can all have a jolly good discussion and uh, talk about them. But uh, thanks, Andy. Uh, we've also had suggestion uh, a few suggestions in from Austin Long on Twitter, at Austin Long 1974. And uh, the one uh, there's, there's, there's a couple there I'm going to pick out. Uh, he's uh, suggested uh, best World Cup mascot. I've gone for... Naranjito of 1982, just because I thought it was a it was a nice easy one to draw if you're a kid, and 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 I, boy <coughs> did I draw it a lot when I was a kid, and the worst World Cup um, mascot I've gone for Atto, Kaz, and Nick from the 2002 World Cup, which is getting a real hammering in this podcast. I can tell you that. Um, I just thought they were just all kinds of crap, uh, really horrifically badly <coughs> designed. Um, he's also gone for Euros. I've gone for Pinocchio as the 1980. Euro uh, mascot. Probably not many people remember that, but if you had the Panini uh, Europa 80 sticker album, it featured in that. Nice little design. And the worst one, probably the worst mascot of any kind ever, I think, is Benelucky from Euro 2000. Uh, Rich, discuss in both cases. <laughs> well, I, for the... Um, we've actually got two matches again. Um, oh. I uh, My favourite uh, World Cup one was Chow from Italia 90, because it was just so... Uh, emblemic if that's a word yeah. uh, of the time uh, yes. because it was it was typical sort of blocky and I love the colours of it it was just it was a very sort of like late 80s early 90s design so I, I really liked it um, I liked it and I liked I've also, it didn't have a face so it was just a nice kind of yeah. daring sort of thing it hasn't actually got a face everybody deal with it uh, and and similarly, uh, 2002 Atto, Kaz and Nick, also <laughs> collectively known as the Spherics, apparently. Yes, that's not what um, I called I, them. I, I wrote a review of um, some mascots once, which included those, yeah. and I think I concluded it with, uh, if these are the answer to the question you've come up with, uh, then you've asked the wrong fucking question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, one of the few times I swore in a post, uh, but they're just they're just they're just horrifically bad. Um, I've also chosen Pinocchio. Mainly, I also wrote about him, and and I just enjoyed the what I wrote about him. Yeah, I, I have, I've, but uh, I've I've gone for the Euro '92 rabbit. Um, oh, yeah. I, I don't. I, he was actually just called Rabbit, I think. Yeah, uh, he he had a name in the '88 one, Bernie, and that's the reason that's I've what? gone for it. Yeah, he's called Bernie, uh, and the same spelling as the old steakhouses. Um, <laughs> But the reason I went for the United 2 one is because it's just the same as the one four years before. But now they've even stripped him of a name. <laughs> they've just yeah. called it Rabbit. You know, it's Rabbit. like the, the, they've actually reversed the amount of thought that's gone into it. They've they've dethought the idea. Um, however, I did make the comment when me and Chris were looking at them just before we, we started recording this, was that basically for the Euros, they're all shit. If you look yeah. at all of them, they're all yeah. crap. There isn't a single really decent one. That's um, right. So yeah, so that's that's my take on the Euro 92 and everything else. 
Good words on that. And uh, Austin also <laughs> suggested Beckham best and worst Beckham haircut and messy <clears throat> Ballon d'Or suit, which I think we'll perhaps save for another time. But thanks anyway for those, Austin. Sadly, we've run out of time. We can't deal with those ones just at the moment. If you uh, if you catch my drift, um, but we'll probably put those we'll probably put those on Facebook as well. And then we come to Chris Guy. We mentioned earlier on who gave us lots of great suggestions. Um, uh, uh, FA Cup final. Did we do FA Cup finals? I've, I've no, we didn't. For, we didn't. Well, I've gone for 2006 just because it's the classic West Ham-Liverpool one. And even though West Ham lost, I just thought they gave a great account of themselves and made a great contribution to what was a tremendous final. And then uh, the worst, I've gone for such a boring affair, as far as I can remember, which was the 96 Cup final, uh, Liverpool v Man United. I think everybody seems to be universally in agreement on that one. It was just horrific. Uh, Rich, your choices? Yep, universal agreement here as well, because <laughs> I also went for 96. I've, I've made the note, the main thing for me was the weight of expectation. You know, it was like, oh, mm. this is going to be an awesome final. It's going to be Liverpool and Man United. And it was dogs. It was absolute <laughs> crap. Um, obviously, my best ones is an obvious one is 87, but I also really thought thought 89 was a great final as well. Um, we've There's another interesting one, which I think was best theme tune. Yes. Uh, which I really like. And I, I kind of I struggled to come up with the worst at first. Easy was, uh, the, the best was easy. I've gone for either Aztec Gold or TTL Mundo, which of course mm-hmm. were not strictly for a, a, a TV series, if you like, but it was for the um, uh, for the World Cups of 86 and 90. And worst, I've again gone for a World Cup one. I was trying to think, because I did make the comment to Chris that um, thanks to Pavarotti and Ness and Dorma, <laughs> Um, World Cup themes got ruined for years because everyone was trying to come up with the next Pavarotti, and it was like. Yes. However, the one I've actually gone for is Gloryland, yes! which was yeah, <laughs> yeah, which was I think was was it ITV's? Yeah, yeah it was ITV's because it was the wasn't it the official theme as well? Or something? Yes, yeah, and it, it was just dog shit. <laughs> so it was just the most dirty, dire. Oh, just it was awful. It was just everything wrong. Basically, if you could. Prior to the USA 94, everyone was aghast at the idea of America getting the World Cup. And if you could combine the two things that symbolised everyone's fears about the World Cup were Diana Ross in the opening... in the opening ceremony and Gloryland, those two yeah. things epitomised everything that could be wrong with the World Cup. It was a great World Cup, but it had those two things in it. Uh, uh, do you know what? I was convinced you weren't going to pick Gloryland. I thought everyone's probably forgotten about it, <laughs> but um, everyone should have forgotten about it because it was just—it was supposed to be anthemic. Uh, it was actually pish. Um, and um, 1990, um, I've gone for as the best one. Uh, Tutti El Mondo again. Um, I nearly agreed with Chris Guy on his suggestion. He went for either. Uh, one of the big match theme tunes, which was called La Soiree, which was used from 1974 to 1980. Uh, his other suggestion was Jubilation, which was a terrific theme by Jeff Wayne, which was used from 80 to 86. And I nearly picked that one as my favourite, but I went for Tutti Al Mondo just because it was just sensational. It just I thought it was just as dynamic as you want it to be for a World Cup in Italy in 1990. It was just... It's got, they got it spot on with that um, and I think we probably ought to start wrapping up because we've, we've already been going for one hour what 20 plus or something probably <laughs> um, uh, he also went for best match ball as well as we had earlier on um, but um, I think we'll end on something with a, a, a great deal of gravitas and importance and that is uh, best haircut uh, Chris Guy suggests uh, that he said my favourite is the ex Burnley and Spurs player Ralph Coates he had the Bobby Charlton comb over well only just Chris I think he had even fewer strands of hair than Bobby Charlton uh, but he bless him he made the best of it that, that he could um, 
best haircut? Oh, I don't know really. Um, I'm not sure, or even sure I've got any kind of great suggestions really. I'm trying to think of who had a good. Per- oh, the, well, the Kevin Keegan perm. It's iconic, really. I don't <laughs> think you can go very far past the the, the great Keegan perm because everyone was copying that after he did it. Um, and um, yeah, and and also an honorary mention for David Armstrong of Middlesbrough fame and Southampton latterly, who rocked the whole bald head thing. I mean, he's just not ashamed at all to play with a bald head. He could have worn a toupee or anything like that, but he didn't. He played well. He was a terrific goal scorer, a great player actually, and and didn't let his um, receding hairline. <laughs> he says tactfully um, put him off one little bit so well done David Armstrong as for the worst haircuts uh, anything in the era between uh, 1990 and uh, 92 because that was mainly mullets I seem to recall um, oh, I can think of two others two two specific ones I can add uh, Neymar in the last World Cup oh, just because yeah. he's such a knob um, and also um, Ronaldo when he had his little triangle that of pubic wedge. hair on top oh, of his head yes, yes that was just hideous <laughs> Yes, forgot all about that. So there we go. And and any uh, thanks again, uh, Chris Guy, for your other suggestions. We will, any that we haven't mentioned, we will try and either put them on the website or Facebook, or we'll throw them out on Twitter, and we'll have a jolly good chat about some of those. But thank you to all of you who corresponded. Very uh, grateful for your uh, contribution to the podcast. Indeedy. Uh, there was one quick one I wanted to throw in, just purely because mm. I actually had an answer for it, which was football boot design, uh, oh, yes. which I went for. Best was Puma Kings, because Maradona wore them, and several of the classy players wore them, and they just looked awesome, especially with the laces intersecting the Puma logo in the days of long yeah. laces. And the worst is those abomination Nike sock things. I don't even know what they're oh. called. I don't care what they're called. They are just an abomination. Uh, yeah. So they should be, anyone wearing them should be killed. <laughs> Fair enough too. I, I was never really much of a, a football boot aficionado, but um, uh, essentially I, I did see a picture on, on an article that I wrote recently. Oh, I say recently, it was just before uh, Christmas 2014, uh, one of those catalogue of eras uh, posts that I did, and there was a picture there of Adidas <coughs> Inters. They were basically black boots with three red Adidas stripes, which looked particularly fine. This is sort of circa 1979, this would have been. And for the worst, anything with the word Gola on, because I did have, <laughs> when I was a kid, I did have a pair of Gola boots, and I remember being blistered beyond belief at wearing them. They were so uncomfortable, and just, and, and just, sorry people that are still involved with Gola, but the name just, you know, it just reeked of naffness when you could have had yeah. Adidas or, you know, whatever. It just like, ugh. <laughs> sorry, I don't care sorry, what Mark. I don't care what Gola is today. In our day, Gola was crap. <laughs> it was. It was the ultimate in you. You your parents are poor or something. Yeah, <laughs> it uh, sounds horrible, but it was. Sorry, mum and dad, about those boots that you got me. But yeah, there there it is. You can't win them all. But um, <laughs> on that sad note, uh, I think we probably must end. Yes, indeed. Otherwise, people have switched off long ago, but um, we're still here. Um, so it's just the usual admin things to say. Uh, obviously, go to the blog at uh, www.thefootballattic.com um, or go to our, fo- uh, our football page, our Facebook page, <laughs> which I believe is facebook.com slash, is it The Football Attic or just Football Attic? The Football Attic. I knew that. And of course, catch us on Twitter at, at Football Attic um, and any other social media which we don't use. <laughs> Snapchat, which we're not on. 
Indeed. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, so, anything else you wanted to add, Chris? No. No. Just to say, it's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, thank you everyone for listening in. And um, well, I'm sure we'll be back again with another podcast in. We the surely will. Sometime in the next six months, at least. <laughs> um, so, until then, and uh, thanks again. Uh, like Chris said, for all your suggestions, there were some real, really interesting ones there. And uh, yeah, keep listening. Uh, go to the website and all that stuff. And until the next time, goodbye. Goodbye, and it's goodbye from him. <laughs> Oh, we're still doing that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Bye.